We're back again with Peter Crone, the mind architect, one of the most popular guests I have ever had on my podcast. And his style may be a little rough at times, but what he delivers is absolutely incredible. And this podcast is absolutely no exception. It's brought to you by Lakanto, lakanto.com, promo code AMP, native deodorant, nativedeo.com slash Marcus. And as always, onit.com slash Aubrey. Peter Crone reminds me of one of those kung fu masters you see in the movies where you know that it's all love inside and you know that everything that they're doing is to bring out your absolute best, but sometimes it's all stick. And in this podcast, we get into it and he puts me through all of the paces as we discuss different concepts and ultimately reveal another deep hidden truth about myself that frankly, if it wasn't for Peter Crone and his mastery, I don't think I would have been able to get to. I can't wait to share this podcast with you. It's been consistently one of the favorite guests that I've ever had on, and this one will not let you down either. Before we get started, though, a quick word from our sponsors. One thing that this year should have highlighted is that we need to start paying attention to our metabolic health. A new census report just came out that showed that 42% of Americans are obese. That is a staggering number, 42%. Now, metabolic health has a lot of different factors. So does obesity. There's food equality issues. There's psychological and trauma-related issues. But a lot of it is just the education and access and understanding around food. Now, Lakanto is a monk fruit sweetener. And what that means is that it's going to sweeten everything that you like because sweet food tastes good. Desserts and coffees and drinks and whatever you want to bake, all of that tastes delicious. We want and we crave that sweet taste. But all of the sugar is not good for our metabolic health. It's not good for our body composition. And Lakanto monk fruit sweetener is a solution. It has been called the immortals fruit by the local people who grew up cultivating this fruit. And that's because not only is it a sweetener that is natural, that comes from a fruit source, but that because of its glycemic profile, which doesn't send you into the wild blood sugar swings, it's actually gonna be incredibly supportive for your overall longevity. So I encourage you guys to check it out. Go to lakanto.com, L-A-K-A-N-T-O.com and use the promo code AMP at checkout for 15% off your order. Once again, lakanto.com promo code AMP for 15% off your order. Next up is native deodorant. Now, if you've been paying attention, there's a lot of discussions going on about vaccines right now, and that makes sense. And one of the discussion threads is around aluminum. Now, aluminum is used as an adjuvant in a lot of vaccines because it's very toxic to the immune system. It creates a strong immune response. And that's one of the things that many vaccines use. Now, it's not in the vaccine that everybody's talking about right now, but it is in many of the vaccines. So when you start to pay attention to the toxicity of things like aluminum, you realize that you want to get this shit out of your body. Great to put in a can, and the, any piece that breaks off your can is going to be big enough that it's not micronized, so it's not going to absorb into your bloodstream the same way and cross the blood-brain barrier. But when you have tiny, tiny micronized pieces of aluminum like are found in deodorants, that's going to go right through your skin and into your bloodstream, which is absolutely why you got to pay attention 
to the products you put on your body as well as in your body. And Native Deodorant, they got that covered. The products are made with impeccable ingredients. They smell awesome. And I really just encourage you guys to check it out. This is the solution for natural deodorant. So go to nativedeo.com slash Marcus or use the promo code Marcus at checkout and get 20% off your first order. So nativedeo.com slash Marcus and enjoy the most badass deodorant I have ever found. Last up, we have Onnit, who is back again with the Alpha Brain free trial. Alpha Brain is our flagship for a reason. It switches on your brain through the acetylcholine pathways and allows you to perform at your absolute best. Right now, I'm on Alpha Brain. Every time I do one of these reads, I'm on Alpha Brain. It's just a tool that helps ensure that I'm going to be operating at optimal efficiency. So check it out. We got a free sample, 15-day supply available. If you haven't tried it before, definitely give it a go. Just see how you feel. I mean, that was the idea when we created Alpha Brain. This isn't for simply long-term brain longevity, although there's lots of ingredients that are incredibly supportive to overall brain health. The idea was this is something that you can feel. And that's what we were able to demonstrate. And that's what our tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of customers have all echoed back to us. So check it out, onnit.com slash Aubrey and save 10% off any of the other Onnit supplies and essentials you find on onnit.com. Onnit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Peter Crone. Peter Crone, my man, we're oh, back. Hey. We are fucking back. We are. Setting the record for frequency in a podcast because, man, it's just so good to talk to you. Well, thank you, sir. It's yeah. the three P. I the feel three-peat. like we're like the ninety-eight bulls. We're like the the, the last like, dance. <laughs> it's the <laughs> then we get to do another one and come back. No, that was the but that would no, yeah, be yeah. the ninety-three. Is it ninety-three? Yeah, I think it's ninety-three. We're bulls. the ninety-three bulls. Now we're in the ninety-six bull. We're gonna we're gonna take this championship home. Oh no, six, seven, eight. You're right. Yeah, yeah. that's the beginning. That's the beginning. Wait, no, no. Star Wars. Star Wars is Star way Wars. Better. Fellowship of the Ring. Right. Wait, We're there. No, that, I'm not going to comment on this that. Is the, this is the worst start to a, three, to a threequel that we've ever had. But we're going to get right into it, man, because yeah. what I want to talk to you about is when you really look out in the world, I think one of the challenges that people have is they think that there's only pleasure and there's only a good feeling associated with the positive things that people associate in their mind. So uh-huh. love feels good and you know compassion feels good and all these things feel good and people are very identified with these positive emotions. But if the other stuff didn't have some dark twisted pleasure, yeah. the feeling of oppressing somebody it has a certain signature of pleasure to the ego, the feeling of being angry at something, at someone. Like the Buddhists call that the initial urge, that hook, the shempa, this rise of emotion, this feeling. And there's this kind of ejaculatory release that comes from destruction and anger and all of these negative emotions. And that's not just projected out to other people. There is this kind of twisted pleasure to actually desecrating the self. And I think people are, are really unaware that a lot of times we're choosing these things because in some twisted way, like it feels good to do these bad things. It feels good to oppress ourselves. It feels good to hurt ourselves in a weird, interesting way that's been being supported by the universal polarity of that kind of dark, destructive energy that's out in the world and also within us. 
Yeah, you lost me at a jaculatory pleasure, and that was on the back of the Fellowship of the Ring. So, I mean, I'm not sure why I'm here today, but I feel like I've been set up. Um, could you ask the question again? No, I mean, listen, I, I, there is there's the gamut of emotions, there's the gamut of experiences, and we could say that there is a certain addiction to all of it. But I would say that the if there is a correlation between having some sense of um association with more of the negative feelings it's just the justification of one's perspective that's all it is right so if somebody is drawn to enjoying we could say those darker emotions all i hear in that is that they get to be right about their own view of themselves so that so the pleasure in that is that they're reinforcing some aspect of rightness about and justification for why they're doing it yeah it's not so much the attachment to the emotion because that vibratory state isn't necessarily pleasurable, like objectively, but uh -huh. it is the payoff and the justification that I, how I see myself and how I define myself just got uh, sort of, it was reinforced, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just that, it's, it's so basic when you look at it, but the ego's primary goal is just to be right about its own perspective. Yeah. So this is where, you know, when people will say things like, I knew that would happen, or that always happens to me. That's no longer like an objective analysis of the unfolding of life. That's a subjective narrative that is constantly reinforcing its own perspective. That's all it is. Yeah, and that's and therein therein lies that kernel of pleasure, the pleasure of the ego being right, the pleasure of the one serving yeah. what one believes to be justice. Mm -hmm. This this person is unworthy, so they deserve to be oppressed because I'm right and it creates that superiority. It's not the actual doing it or I'm right about this thing. I'm the one who's punishing myself and I deserve this punishment. Yeah. And so it's it's not the feeling of punishment because ostensibly, yes, that is a shitty feeling. Mm -hmm. But somewhere woven in is this little thread of the ego being able to say, aha. Yeah. Yeah. The way I the way I categorize it is, you know, I use a lot of quotes and distinctions. I say, you know, being right is the poor man's version of self-worth. Yeah. <laughs> right. So if you really get that, it's like recognizing, wow, I'm I might not get what I want but I'm right about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'll watch my life go to shit and I'll sabotage and it's all these deleterious events that are unfolding. But nonetheless, I can stand in my self-righteousness, which is where I have the ultimate sense of power and control, even in the face of my own demise, which is just, that's how you see how mad. Like when I've done this for three decades now, that was the one thing that I was like constantly blown away by is that people would rather absolutely sabotage their lives uh, uh, but be right about it what yeah what an amazing draw to be right mm -hmm. like how deeply ingrained is that in the human psyche this desire to be right yeah. like where do you where do you track that foundation why is it that the ego so desperately craves to be right that they're willing to subject self and others to a veritable hell mm -hmm. in order to be right well because what happens to it if it's not right <laughs> Well, then you have your own reevaluation of who you are, I suppose. Yeah, which we could call what? Well, I'm turning the tables. I like this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> all right. So in that reevaluation, it's a loss of identity. You're it's right. a loss but, but of self. So because you're smart, like, so beyond loss of identity, what's the lay way of saying that? <sighs> it's a loss of lack of self love based upon the predication of being right, it being 
you know the necessity for being worthy of love and having worth like you're saying yeah but again like let's keep it real basic in the absence or the loss of identity what is that what's actually occurring the loss of something what's another word for that and mm. it's a topic of conversation right now around the world <sighs> begins in with d and ends in f <laughs> <laughs> yeah and in a way that's when so if you look at that like the ego is a fixed structure it doesn't just change it must die mm -hmm. and then the new one must be born it's the it's the phoenix so it's not i guess it's then looking at this isn't just a modification you're not just saying oh myself has shifted slightly that fixed understanding of self dies yeah. death mm -hmm. and then something new has to emerge and we don't have faith that will that the new thing that will emerge is is going to emerge or it's the part of us that is in that fixed identity that just is desperately clinging to the life of the construct that we've created yeah so so again to come full you know circle to why you asked was your question of why it has to be right because by its nature it's fictitious it's illusory so without having any sort of evidence or self-reaffirming kind of conversation which is that self-righteousness then it dissipates and so who wants to die, right? But this is the beauty. I mean, we've gotten right into the depth of my work here, which is the annihilation or the disintegration, the dissolution of the idea of ourselves, which is emancipation and liberation. But that's the old adage of how do you pick yourself up by your bootstraps? Like the eye that's looking for enlightenment is the very obstacle to enlightenment, mm. right? Yeah. So the eye that is wanting to be right about its own identity is by design based in inadequacy, insecurity, scarcity. That's its structure, but it's always right about it. So then it's always perpetuating its own existence because it has to, because it's illusory. Yeah. It's the ultimate smoke and mirror, but people don't understand that what they want in their life is to be found on the other side of the constraints of their own idea of themselves. Yeah, that's a really good way to understand this, actually, because, you know, recently, myself and my lovely wife, mm -hmm. we had a trivial disagreement that we both decided through our own unconscious processes, we were going to drag out into a day-long affair in which we took some space and, yeah. you know, we're both pretending that we didn't want to be right because that was our identity of ourself. Well, I'm not the one that wants to be right. Mm -hmm. I don't care about that. But nonetheless, we were still trying to be right in, yeah. our own, in our own ways. And we drug this out. And at the end of it, you know, we were laughing and saying, what is it? Do we have just a hell fetish? Do we have a fetish to put ourselves in this hell? Yeah. But really, it perhaps wasn't a hell fetish. We weren't attracted to you know, these feelings of separation, these negative feelings. What we were attracted, what we were fighting for was the construct of ourself which we believed was right which we did not want to sacrifice to the altar of the truth and yeah. let it die so that the new one could emerge yeah which is why most relationships don't work because people aren't in a relationship with the other person they're in a relationship with their own idea of themselves and it's a self-preserving mechanism so as long as you behave in the way that i like you to behave then we get along fine if you don't then this relationship is on the rocks which is really i if you really get it is it actually not a relationship with anyone else but your own fictitious idea of yourself which is why most people can be married or in a relationship yet they still feel lonely yeah because you're not actually related to other people or life itself because you're looking through a lens that is all about adaptation to survival and so in that like trivial i thought it was very polite to just call it trivial mm -hmm. but like you know whatever the disagreement was 
there's really what's happening, if we call it what it is, it's just two children who are sulking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. That's all that's happening. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. You're both hurt, and it's yeah. okay. You need a timeout. You know, you didn't get the toy. <laughs> you wanted this ice cream, and daddy said no, and you'll, <laughs> you know, and that's what happened right let's just call it what it is you know yeah. and so you've got two adults who love each other but they're being driven by these inner children who just got butt hurt yeah we're back to the fellowship of the ring <laughs> how did the fellowship of the ring this become a euphemism for sodomy i don't know how that so that's all that's ever that's ever transpiring in a relationship that's not working or is dysfunctional is the part of me that is on the precipice of being hurt at any given moment if you don't behave in accordance with my the world according to me you know that's that's the trigger but that is also the the access to liberation because if you can look at okay do i want to be right or do i want to love my wife and at that time you want it to be right which is fine but it's a very powerless place to be and self-defeating, radically self-defeating. Yeah, that's the self-sabotage I was talking about earlier. It's like, yeah. wow, well, that's super inspiring. You were right about whatever inadequacy. Hooray, and we just <laughs> yeah. totally thrust ourselves into hell. Yeah. And then ultimately realized how foolish we both were the whole time, but it just took a long time. So, But this is very, this is very much at the forefront of people's resistance to change at all mm -hmm. change for the better it's not just it's not just acknowledging when we're wrong causing the death but it could be even growth on the positive sense mm -hmm. still requires a death of the self that exists the construct that exists in the ego self yeah if that's going to change for the positive you still have to be willing to die and if you're identified with the eye that's at this fixed plane even if you're going to an elevated plane and an evolution upwards mm -hmm. even still that part has to die and that part is going to be resistant to death just like every single organism on the planet pushes against death yeah and because uh, the primordial intention of any organism is to survive so that's why there's so much resistance but that resistance is the precursor to dis-ease right the holding yeah. you can feel it right the holding in that moment you were not talking to the person you love perhaps arguably the most or that's your declaration and yet you are in this isolation chamber where you you are resisting what is actually trying to be born here which is forgiveness and apology you know your humanity it's okay like it's not like you're supposed to be walking around like with white light coming through your genitals as this person <laughs> is in constant peace you know right. but can you make space for the part of you that gets hurt can you make space for the part of you that's scared it's okay so that primordial urge to be right to survive is ironically that is the death of possibility mm. And so really my work speaks to the constant dying of one's idea of oneself such that you can actually be born anew. Yeah. It's no different to the snake that sheds its skin. It's no different to our physiology. I mean, we've been sitting here for 15 minutes. We both have different bodies. But we don't look at it like that, right? Because cells are dying, thank God, you know, and then new ones are being born. But if we can take that same physical understanding, the principle of expansion and evolution itself, and apply it to the idea of myself, now you're i mean that's a powerful trajectory to be on yeah it's, it requires a shift of identification there's a quote from heraclitus no man steps in the same river for he's not the same man and it's not the same, same river. river exactly yeah so if we understand that we're this 
we're this being that's in flux rather yeah. than the fixed identity which the ego wants to cling to mm-hmm. like that's the shift in identity and then at that point there's even that other escalation of that shift to being the unborn undying essence of consciousness that's embodied in a form that's constantly changing if we identify with that these deaths and rebirths are actually fluid and smooth and all the corners that were jagged and and sharp become rounded and smooth and it becomes an actual flow yeah did you notice what just happened i felt better no well i just died in front of you i just wasn't sure if you were aware of it. <laughs> but i'm back it's okay yeah it's, uh, <laughs> yeah and that's I'll probably it. keep doing it a few times yeah but even is, in the, even in the expression of it it feels it feels like yeah like that's it yeah that's relief it's like in in uh hindu um scriptures they they describe death as like taking off a tight shoe right like so every woman can speak to that you know at the end of a big night where she's wearing her heels like the relief of that constraint it's like ah and so that really is just this ongoing opportunity if you're willing to reconcile and mitigate all of these beliefs of who you are to step into a different iteration of yourself that is more expanded Mm. that's a that to me is a life worth living yeah it seems as you know many people on the journey as they get older the longer they've stayed in a fixed identity the more resist it's like the more energy has accumulated towards and and around the fixed self like the Mm -hmm. fixed self has attracted more volume more gravity more mass more construct it's actually more alive yeah you know in a fixed state and so they're even more resistant to change more you know worried about a psychedelic journey that might you know cause a death or even a a reevaluation of ideas or you know reevaluating their political opinions or any other opinion any anything they really push against because they have so much gravity and energy associated with the fixed self of the ego there's so much uh invest invested right yeah there's so much evidence and that's hard to give up. I mean, I see this when I work with my athletes who are in transition from being a pro performing athlete who's under the lights to somebody who's retiring and quote unquote, a relative no name. Nothing's actually happened in the act- the physics of a human being performing over here and then maybe being more of a stay at home dad, but in the psychology of how he or she views themselves as no longer of the same worth or the same value. That's, I mean... That's devastating to the, the the ego that desperately is holding on to an image of like past success. And this is what we see also, I think, with menopause and, you know, tends to be around that age where a lot of the kids leave the nest and the mother has lost her sense of worth. She hasn't actually lost it. It's perceived, you know, because mm-hmm. there was this, I had a position of service that gave me some value. And now it's like, well, what do I do with myself? And there can be this depression because there isn't this sense of contribution to something which we're all designed to want to have. So it's, I mean, this this topic, I didn't know this is where we we're going to go today, but it's just, I love it. Like I yeah. love death. I mean, it's one of my favorite topics to speak to because it is inextricably connected to aliveness. You know, yeah. and yet right now everybody's desperately trying to avoid it. And as you were saying earlier, those who hold on the most furiously to their identity become the most rigid in life, both physiologically, emotionally, and psychologically. We see this as people grow old, they become sort of very stuck in their ways, like physically, and then they become very stubborn in their opinions. All that is is just the callousing of a narrative that was first of all unconsciously created as a reaction to any sort of external fears and threats that then was a mechanism to try and preserve oneself 
And they're still in the bunker of their own narrative, wondering why they don't feel vitality and joy and love and intimacy with people. So it's like, a, you know, those old etch-a-sketches with the little knobs that yeah. create a little thing. It feels like the more time we spend on the little knobs creating our little creation mm-hmm. before there, become, there comes a shake, yeah. which shakes it and allows us to recreate ourselves. Yeah. You know, the more attached we are to our little you know, geometric design we created, making little right and left turns and building this thing. Yeah. What is what is your mechanism besides just downloading the advice? Like, do you have a mechanism for helping people just fucking shake the edges? That's sketch? what I do. I get them to stand up and, <laughs> and wiggle, <laughs> shake the shit out of them. You just see all these pixels fall down. I'm like, how are you feeling? They're like, oh my god, I don't know who I am, but I feel so free. <laughs> um. I, no, I mean, there is a mechanism and to what degree it's just intuitive now. I mean, I just listened to somebody's story. We, I mean, we've done it mm-hmm. a couple of times with you, you know, mm-hmm. on air, which has been beautiful where I just listen to someone's story so I can hear what someone's telling me and I know it's not who they are because I know who they are, right? So I just, I'm listening for the pretense. I'm listening for the illusory idea of myself and the story of woe that belongs to their their vision of who they are. So if I can just very gently, you know, with some sort of white gloves on, carefully take them back to the idea of themselves that has them believe that they have a problem, the symptom of woe, and then just investigate the validity of that idea, then they're like, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm not like not good enough or no, I'm not like uh, not loved, but I've got the evidence for when my dad said this or my mom did this or whatever. So once we uncover that subconscious dialogue see it for what it is which is it's it's a falsehood then whatever they thought was their problem which only exists by virtue of that narrative that just dissolves so instead of trying to solve anxiety i don't deal with anxiety i don't deal with depression i don't deal with addiction i don't deal with financial or relationship problems these are all symptomatic Mm. these are all access points for me to be able to go oh hang on a minute if you have x problem then what that reveals for me in the way that I listen is that you must have a deeper conversation about how you view yourself and that's where you're confined. People go through life as prisoners of their mind. The only prison, the only prison anyone lives in is their own perspective, their own point of view. And if you can crack that, there is no greater gift. There's no greater sense of liberation and freedom than to be able to help somebody see the prison they live within that they superimpose onto circumstance, but really as a reflection of the conversation they've had inside of them usually for decades. And to break that apart, that's recoding that really is the ultimate emancipation of suffering. Absolutely. So we're talking about one of the like primitive drives of an entity an organism Mm -hmm. survive yeah there's another one that i've been tracking and can see it in self as well and that is to grow Mm -hmm. right like any plant you know there's a drive to grow there's a reason that that the grass wants to push up from the soil the tree wants to spread its branches the human wants to acquire more wealth more followers more platform more influence more like there's this drive to grow and with the human psyche when we're starting to measure that and chart that and we also like the acceleration of growth i think that's something else we're attracted attracted to mm-hmm. but there's going to be periods of of entropy periods where things are not going to be growing things mm-hmm. things are going to be actually shrinking and that can be difficult for you know the the organism to handle the human to handle and i've noticed that myself like everything feels good when it's on a nice 
bottom left of the graph to top right of the graph chart mm-hmm. but when you know my business you know sales were growing year after year and then we had a we had a dip one year and i was mm-hmm. like oh fuck mm-hmm. we're not growing anymore or that'll happen on a <clears throat> podcast or any other thing any other metric by which i'm measuring by yeah. and i think it certainly happens to the perception of beauty or attractiveness it's like mm-hmm. i'm getting hotter and hotter and hotter oh no i think i peaked and here goes my hair yeah. and now here goes oh here comes like my six pack is in there and i can't lift as much so how do you help people deal with grace with that with these kind of lulls and 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 even maybe even speak to that attraction to Mm -hmm. growth and then the the grace to deal with things when they're not glowing or we're perhaps on the decline yeah i mean i think i would use i think words is you know words are very important obviously it's the the medium i traffic in so even when you're talking about growth i would i would speak more to expansion so growth, you know, in Ayurveda, there's six stages to disease, which is part of my work, right? The Ayurvedic healing methods. And so growth, the first stage of disease is accumulation. So we could say a tumor grows, you know, because you're True. sort of implying that growth is good, but it depends on what context. So growth to me, I hear as a manifest expression of something, right? Whether it's, you, you know, your bank account, oh, that's good. Or it's a tumor, that's not so good. But mm-hmm. the energy of growth is still present in both. So beyond anything that's happening in the external manifest world, I would look at what's occurring internally in terms of my ability to expand. So that's the growth of consciousness. That's the growth of awareness. That's the growth of love. That's the growth of presence. So it's a different form of growth that is not based on anything that by design is physical in nature. So then as you see your company grow and then you see this dip and you said, "Uh uh-oh, well, that reveals you not what's going on out there, right? That reveals fear, concern, this is bad, right? Maybe, you know, it's relative to what, like who knows, right? So this is staying in that I don't know mind versus the I know mind. The no is grabbing, it's holding, it's stuck. The I don't know is pure possibility. So the more that I can step into that space of uncertainty continually is the degree to which I'm in a place of expansion. And then life is just unfolding. Bank account goes up goes down like okay whoop-de-doo right that can only be a concern if i have the concern it's not out there Mm. it's not it's got nothing to do with the actual numbers in you know my account it's got to do with my response to it how do i dance with that how do i relate to that which is the revelatory nature of life you know that to me is why we're here in this paradigm it's not to make more money or you know get more status or to keep the six-pack or to keep the hair or like that it's just to what degree do all of those transactions reveal something about your own sense of fear and inadequacy that's the lie yeah it seems like and i think that really points to the key here is that we get attached to these you know, fickle external metrics as a measurement of quote growth. Mm -hmm. Whereas what you're talking about, what's the expansion of your consciousness? What's the expansion of your awareness? What's the expansion of your love, your heart, Mm -hmm. you know, your intellect, all of these things, which actually can and should expand barring some kind of physical injury or some, you know, age-related cognitive decline that's beyond your control. You know, that's another thing to deal with. But that's not what I'm particularly talking about. What I'm talking about is how we get attached to these external things, which we then use as mirrors to reflect upon our own validation when really we're looking again at the wrong thing. We're not looking at the intangible essence expansion. We're looking at the metric growth of something that we have attributed some value to, which doesn't belong there. Yeah. Well, and it, 
it's again it's like all it is really coming back to the kids comment about the two of you it's just a security blanket you know what is that ego because one of the one of the tenants of the ego's existence is insecurity so if who i am in the way that i relate to myself is feeling that essence of insecurity then by design a behavioral adaptation something that i pursue has got to be some security and we find security in all sorts of ways, right? Predominantly through finance, through some relativity to a person, like if we have a partner, if we have a company, we find some sense of security. But it's, it's transitory, it's illusory, and ultimately it will dissipate. So real security, true security, is when I can sit in the absence of needing security. Hmm. That's the real secure essence of who I am in the absence of anything that would, uh, would pertain to human security because that is always going to be, you know, at best transitory. So that is real expansion is when I, when I become associated with my true nature, it's no longer dependent on anything that is outside of me. That's, that is, for me, the quintessential expression of success mm-hmm. is I'm at peace regardless of circumstance i am not at the effect of circumstance i am cause in the way that i experience myself in life regardless of what's happening around me yeah and it's a it's an absolute self-defeating prophecy because we are so good at, at just assimilating and creating a tolerance and an expectation even if we are growing mm-hmm. and let's say we're growing growing again and we've also kind of uh you know diverted that paradigm into something more productive but even still just to show how futile this is if you're growing at a certain pace at a certain while you just expect that pace of growth so even if you're still growing but it's not at the same pace and i think we measure it in exponential terms so if you start with a thousand dollars and then you make you know get up to ten thousand dollars well that's a nine thousand dollar actual or arithmetic increase Mm -hmm. but it was a 10x of your former amount of money so Mm -hmm. then it requires another 10x for you to get that same feeling so then you have to get to a hundred thousand then it requires another 10x you got to get to a million and then we're talking growing by nine hundred thousand instead of nine thousand to get the same feeling that you formerly had and and we get attached to this and then if that doesn't happen we we feel this sense of disappointment because it, but it's sisyphean it's an and it's absolutely it's going to end at some point we're never going to be able to grow at that same exponential pace because there's a finite amount of resources if we're mm. measuring in the finite there's a finite amount of resources in the universe at a certain point you know kanye west can't get seven billion followers you know mm-hmm. he might get a billion but mm-hmm. at a certain point he's gonna fucking run out yeah. you know and if he's attached to that rate yeah he's fucked yeah the one word i hear and i feel in the way you describe that is exhaustion yeah this is why most people are exhausted their adrenals are shot the hashimoto's all of the things that people struggle with the anxieties the the sort of deleterious effects on their physiology where they're just sort of in this process of degeneration because people are chasing the proverbial carrot in whatever form represents you know success security for them so whether he gets seven billion or one billion my question would be could you be totally free and at peace whether you had one or you know none it doesn't really matter that that again it's like we're so ingrained as human beings to think that life and success and security are all outside of us and so 
it's only logical that if how I feel is a byproduct of my circumstance, that in order to feel good, I'm under the impression that I have to control circumstance, right? That's just a logical extension. I feel good when circumstances are good. I feel bad when circumstances are bad. Wow, well, let me solve this problem. I just got to constantly control circumstance. Mm. But that's why I said the word that comes to mind is exhaustion. You know, like that, that is so tiring. It's, it's the metaphor I, or the analogy I use with all my clients is imagine you're in the middle of uh, Phoenix and it's July or it's the middle of the summer and you're in Phoenix and it's 120 degrees out. You're driving a car. It's a nice car. It's got a good AC and you're under the impression that in order for you to feel comfortable, you have to crank the air conditioning with the windows rolled down because in order for me to be okay, I have to make everything outside of me okay. Now you start to see the futility of that. Like I'm trying to cool down the whole of Arizona in order to be comfortable. <laughs> right. Right. How's that working out? Yeah. Whereas I'm like encouraging people, roll up the windows, put on a nice little bit of like, you know, whatever your tune du jour is and stick your 68, 69 and life is good. So that, you know, people, it's, a, it's an example, right? It's not about, oh, well, that's so selfish, you know, but you could also invite people into your space. You become a source of aspiration and inspiration, right? To continue the metaphor. So that to me is what people are doing is they're desperately trying to control circumstances under the impression that if I get everything perfect in the way I want it, then I will finally be at peace. And this is why we have this one day illusion, right? Like my, this isn't my life right now, but wait, you know, I'm getting there, which then creates this psychological time. Everything that we think we want is out there somewhere, right? In the future. But, I mean, have you ever been in your future? <laughs> you know, it's like, how's that? Like what a ridiculous idea. Like, no, I'm going to be really happy in the future. I'm going, okay, well, when were you last there? I mean, right? It's just, it's nuts, right? Yeah. So can you find this sense of like true affinity for the circumstances of your life now and recognize this is it? This, yeah. this, this is where I'm at. And the degree to which I resist that is the degree to which I suffer. And the degree to which I suffer is the degree to which I create desire, which creates time. And now I'm under the impression that in order to mitigate my suffering, I have to be out there somewhere in the future when I get everything in order. I mean, talk to your doctor and have another cocktail, right? I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you wonder why people are always trying to escape stuff. It's no like, doubt. can you just be where you are and recognize you're not under threat? Now, I'm not obviously belittling that some people truly have situations that warrant some kind of survival right like whether it be shelter or food like that sure. definitely exists in the world i'm speaking to most people who are at least getting food on the table they have some sort of roof over their head it doesn't have to be like the ritz and it doesn't have to be like nobu sushi you know but or even or even somebody like yeah i got in a fucking nasty car wreck and there was some days there where my face was on fire mm -hmm. you know and like i of course it will feel better in in two weeks, and yeah. actually, the external will affect my will affect my physical pain threshold, and that will happen to any of us. But yeah, what we're talking about is the everyday existence in this place where we place our salvation in the external world and think that that's going to influence the internal, and it's it's not the case. Like what what you're what you're teaching, what I'm supporting, what you know, Joe Dispenza, who I talked to yesterday, mm -hmm. what we're all talking about is the sovereignty of our internal landscape mm -hmm. and reclaiming it. It's the same thing that Viktor Frankl was talking about yeah. you know, 70, 80 years ago. Right. You know, the last of the human freedoms is the ability to control one's internal circumstances. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's 
And again, this is where there's a lot of compassion because until you're aware of those mechanisms, people talk about choice and, oh, it's up to you. It's how you react. Well, you know, did you have choice in this trivial disagreement, you know, with your wife? I mean, there's figurative choice and there's literal choice. I would say at that moment, you had no choice. You were just being driven by the mechanisms of the narratives that drive you and the way that you try to preserve your own identity and be right about it. Like that, but that warrants compassion and forgiveness. Now, post trivial disagreement, mm. you can start to have a conversation and a dialogue about it and go, wow, what was that? I got hurt because of whatever she did or said and vice versa. Where does that come from? What was what was I actually in, interpreting that event or those words to mean about my own preservation? Because it's always a perceived threat. That's all it is. It's a perceived threat. To what? To your identity that is desperately trying to hold on to whatever it thinks is right about life and how she should or life should act. Right, so that's post. But when you're in it, that it does warrant compassion and forgiveness because you're being driven by a pattern. It's not a it's not a powerful choice. No one's going, oh, like in five minutes, I can't wait to get anxious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that would be somewhat conscious. Like anxiety arises because you have a dance and an interaction with the way that life is unfolding that is unconscious. And for that reason, we want to bring, I feel, the eternal maternal uh, energy of love to hold someone. When you fall over and you have a boo-boo, you got hurt in this argument. You know, what you're really looking for is to be held, to be cradled. It's okay. Come here, honey. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Then we can sort of bring in the paternal and like, okay, well, what actually happened there? Like, you didn't get stabbed. Like, yeah. but you kind of <laughs> acted like you did. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. right? The, the metaphor of a brick in a house, like I, I talk about, you throw a you know, brick into the ocean you're going to get precisely based on the laws of physics the splash and the sound that is totally in correlation with the size and the speed and the weight of the brick you throw a house into the ocean equally the same principles of physics apply right the same it'll be a bigger splash or it'll be a bigger sound most people react to life like a brick comes at them but they react like it's a house <laughs> mm -hmm. right so now you have no longer you you're you're You've lost your relationship to the actual unfolding objectively of life and you're actually revealing where am I under some sort of duress because I feel my identity is under threat. That's where the work of liberation and to go back to my point about expansion, that's where it lies. Somebody who's very, very tight psychologically, it doesn't take much to piss them off because they don't have any threshold. Right. And that's why one of my questions is, can I be with this is an expression I use for myself. What is happening? What did they say? What news did I get? Can I be with this? What does that mean? Can I stay centered and at peace regardless? Now, I'm still human. I'm still a work in progress. There might be certain things that trigger. But to me, I don't see it as something to be defensive about. I see it as an opportunity for more awareness. Oh, wow. Why? Why was that something that I got a little bit triggered by? That's the opportunity. And it's a different reframe. Instead of trying to control that, make them wrong, tell them to go fuck themselves or whatever it is that we do when we feel threatened. It's like, okay, why in the, the infinite power of my true essence do I feel so scared in this situation? Because that's not me. That's a lie. Thinking that I'm not okay with what happened or I'm not going to be okay, meaning it's a threat to my existence. That's a lie. So there's the opportunity is, okay, thank you, life for revealing somewhere within me that I'm still holding on to something that is self-preserving in nature, which does not serve me. Yeah. Right? The, uh, <clears throat> the, one of the interesting phenomenon, phenomena is, 
is this kind of necessity for time because we don't like to acknowledge that we're wrong immediately because mm -hmm. we're still so in the identity of the one who wants to be right at that point. Mm -hmm. But given enough time, we can go back and say, oh yes, that was the me of seven hours ago. And the me of seven hours ago was a bit foolish, but the me of now is wise, yeah. right? But we have this illusion of time that's necessary. And I know, I know I'm thinking of one friend in particular where he's very comfortable acknowledging where he was wrong a month ago, six months ago, a year ago. Oh yeah, you know, back in those days. But he has yeah. to have a large expanse of time, not even a day, not mm -hmm. even an hour, but like a really large expanse of time. So he's put enough distance in his own mind yeah. to justify oh, I'm different now. So right. I can totally acknowledge that I'm wrong then. But if you try to call him out on something that he's wrong about now, yeah. it's just resistance to the, you know, he'll yeah. fucking bring all the swords out and fight to the death to preserve his rightness in the moment. Yeah. You know, and then you come to him six months later and be like, oh yeah, you know, that was, that was me then though. I wasn't as conscious as I am now. Right. And right. it's this trick we play and it's a trick with time. And I think the the elegance of of actually being able to admit moment by moment and realize every single moment is an opportunity to be different. We don't need to wait a perceived amount of time yeah. to put distance to allow our own mental construct of the amount of time it takes to be a new person. It could happen like this. Awareness can happen five seconds yeah. after you said some stupid shit to your partner or to somebody and be like, oh, wow, that was dumb. Yeah, And you can be a totally different person right then. There is no time associated with these... It, you know constructs that we make up in our mind because they're not linked to the physical body yeah the physical body may take 40 days or however long it takes for cells to turn over or seven years i don't know i've heard a bunch of different things mm -hmm. but ultimately like our psyche can change in a in a snap mm -hmm. if we're willing and just understand that oh yeah okay that was me of five seconds ago and i am now the me now yeah and i forgive that me of five seconds ago and please you know, I ask your forgiveness for the me of five seconds ago. I'm really sorry. Right, right. And we can do that quick. We can if we get the right sort of exit uh, sketch shaking that like, yeah. you know, and this is why sometimes it takes a guy to have a heart attack, even though for five, 10 years, he's been told by his doctors and his family that, you know, he should stay off the saturated fats and the junk food. But it took something significant for him to go, you know what, I've got to revisit my, my, um, diet my lifestyle you know the high cholesterol results wasn't sufficient so that's where it can happen an instant um but it just depends to what degree there's that readiness for maturation you know your friend by the sounds of it like a quote i use i say there are none so self-righteous as the newly converted right now if you yeah. really get that like so and that's very slippery because what i hear without knowing him and it's no judgment is that once he recognizes it through the lens of how he wants to process it he's just gotten right about the fact that he knew what was going on so it's still a it's the perpetuation of his self-righteousness and again and that's automated it's unconscious so there's no judgment but it nonetheless leaves him unavailable to life it doesn't allow him to have true affinity with people right. because he's too busy trying to be right and then if we were to look back at his childhood you know it would have been my guess there would have been periods where he felt like berated or that he was a bad boy and so he's learned to avoid the hurt of feeling that he had any indiscretion in the eyes of his parents who are the ultimate care providers for whom he sought love. The way to actually garner acceptance was to always be robust and right. 
But that actually is now the obstacle to having the intimacy that he so desperately craves, which is the madness of relationships. We, we present our ambassador with all of these facets that are glorious, you know, and ways of trying to get love. But it's not until such time that you actually drop that that you get to experience love. That's the irony. Mm. And you get to experience it by virtue of the fact that you develop sufficient love for self in all of your flaws and imperfections. You hold those that you actually make space for another human being who's going to be flawed by design. That's when you can have true intimacy. But as long as you're perpetuating the idea of yourself as some sort of mildly perfect human, then actually you are the most lonely person on the planet. Again, one of my quotes is, please never become perfect. You'll have no one to relate to. <laughs> right? So it's really to what degree can we actually embody love that is itself the space within which imperfections are welcome. Yeah. One of the other traps that I think we can fall in in a moment-to-moment -moment basis is the trap of expectations. Uh -huh. You know, we can have an expectation of an event which will rob us of the actual appreciation of anything that happens. And when we have expectations, when we turn that inward, it can lead to a really deleterious cycle mm. where we continually fail to meet our expectations and then we lose self-confidence and we lose the, uh, the ambition to dare because we're always being disappointed based upon this idea. And it seems to me that we are expectation-creating machines. Uh -huh. At all times, we're creating an expectation of what our partners should do or, or what we should do or how we should be, what this food should taste like, what the weather should be like, what, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I'm getting married. It's supposed to be sunny. You know, like we have expectations about all of these things that are just setting us up for a kind of perpetual state of disappointment. Mm -hmm. And then because even if the expectations are fully met, it's not even like we celebrate to the extent that we're disappointed. It's like, oh, we expected it in general. Right. Do you coach people on how to manage this, the, the faculty of our minds to be constantly creating expectations? For sure. I mean, but it's, my process is dissolution, not solution, right? So like expectation is an extension of the part of us that is under the impression that there's something that we want outside of now. Right, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. We're generating psychological time under the illusion that where we are is not where we're meant to be or where we want to be. Mm -hmm. The idea of becoming is, you know, it's exhausting because it's like I'm getting there, which now creates time, which is the, the essence of expectation, desire, or wanting, is going to create suffering because it's not so much that there's anything wrong with wanting. It's fine. But if it's coming from the essence of there's something missing, then you're in the energy of lack. So that's the suffering already. Then if you don't get what you're expecting, which you thought was going to offset your feeling of lack, right now you've got a double whammy because I'm already in the energy of lack. It doesn't matter what I am trying to garner or get in life. If, my, if I don't understand that beyond the, the narrative of inadequacy, beyond the dialogue of scarcity, lies the abundance of everything, then I'm always associated with those feelings of limitation for which reason I am going to generate expectation. So for me, it's not about trying to deal with expectation. I'm dissolving the idea that there's anything missing in the first place. Now it becomes a process of creation versus reaction. It becomes a process of exploration versus searching. I'm not missing anything. You think of a kid who's playing like cowboys and Indians with his friends. He's out there in the garden and maybe they've got a little bit of a, you know, they're on the edge of a forest. And so they, they forage in there and they find a stick. And to him, that stick is the greatest gun or it's the greatest arrow for his bow or whatever it is. And so his friends and he are purely in the process of imagination. 
Whereas you think of an adult mind in that situation, to what degree you are really dependent on your presentation of perfectionism, you know, mm. you have to, before you play Cowboys and Indians, you've got to subscribe to Cowboys and Indians magazine every month. And you've got to make sure that you get the right gun, you know, yeah. because so-and-so is coming and oh, that really hot chick's going to be there too. So I've got to make sure that I'm wearing the like the right, you know, buckle for my mm. sheriff's outfit. You know, it just becomes so exhausting. Whereas the kids are just playing. They don't have a sense of there's anything missing. Mm. Whereas in adults, we develop over time this idea of scarcity and adequacy and security. And now it's a compensation game. How can I compensate for that which I am perpetually believing in, which itself is illusory? That's why it's exhausting because you're lying to yourself. And now I'm just trying to compensate. It's an adaptation, right? So that's the difference is I don't live in the world of expectation. I live in the world of uncertainty, which is itself mystical. It's magical. It's surprising. I don't need to know what's going to happen because there's nothing missing in the first place. And now I could have personal preference. Sometimes I'd like things to go a certain way and sometimes I'd like them not to go a certain way. But guess what? I'm last I checked, I'm not in charge of the freaking universe. I didn't get that memo. You know, it's like, by the way, Peter Crone has got everybody's marching orders. You know, it's like, no, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. And I feel a beneficiary of life and whatever's unfolding. If there's a little bit of mild irritation, that's exciting because I get to develop more freedom. If there is an irritation, it's just, I'm, I'm enjoying the journey of life as it's unfolding. Where's their expectation? Expectation is a psychological ex extension of something that I feel from an ego's perspective is what I want or don't want. It's shame or pride. It's all the facets of the ego looking to protect or to garner. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. And in the absence of all of that, there's just life unfolding. Yeah. What about in those circumstances where there is a actual physical and not a psychologically derived, but there is a physical state of pain or a physical state of pleasure mm -hmm. associated, even in, in the contrast of that, um, like wherein an illness or an injury and the fear that we have for this future event which will carry a physical pain and of course we layer all kinds of suffering along the way and in, in that yeah. but knowing that there are realities there are future realities that that do necessitate a certain level of pain what do you what do you tell to people how do you help people deal with a future reality in which pain is in some ways an inevitability can you get it out of concept and talk about something real <laughs> so let's say um a fear of getting sick in some way like i watched my uncle die of uh, you know lymphoma okay and he there was an immense amount of physical pain and he kept his spirits really yeah. high he said you know he really just looked forward to that that one cup of coffee he could have in the morning and how it tasted and it, it actually turned him into in some ways a very mystical place but i could also feel like the deep pain yeah as the cancer kind of took his body and took a mm -hmm. you know a, a, a tennis pro and a guy who took me out shooting is the first person to teach me how to shoot a gun and someone who was like really virile in his expression of all life and it just withered him away and the physical actual attributes of that and i think yeah. it imprinted in me uh an innate fear of that reality yeah, that yeah. actually oppresses my enjoyment of the present to some degree out of this fear of this alternate reality which i've find you know would be incredibly challenging yeah yeah so it's it's beautiful first of all you know i distinguish between pain and suffering right mm -hmm. pain is unavoidable we're physical sentient beings we have these this meat suit that is 
predisposed to experience what it experiences by virtue of our central nervous system. You're going to feel things. You know, it's like if this was too hot and I took a sip, it's like, oh shit, that's hot. Like there's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to feel. So pain is sort of, it's inextricably connected to the fact that we have a physical body. Suffering, however, is is something that that's what I'm helping to actually eradicate. So what you're speaking to relative to yourself is suffering, right? Fear is where you're the aspect of you that is concerned with death or that you might travel down some similar journey that your uncle did. That's you're actually being hurt by your own perception, your own dialogue, right? Just as the kid can see a stick and to him, that's the best gun on the planet. You know, it's not, but it gives him an experience of joy, of fun, of play. And so you thinking that you might end up in similar shoes to your uncle, what's actually hurting you is the conversation. As I said, people are prisoners of their own perspective, not of life. And so the suffering you're experiencing is a byproduct of the lens you're looking through, not because in 5, 10, 50 years from now, you end up with lymphoma, right? So you're actually, that's the irony, (laughs) is where people are living in a state of suffering over something that hasn't even happened yet and usually doesn't happen. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? So like constantly so. Yeah. But that's the part of us, again, that is resistant to death. But this is why to die whilst you're alive is the greatest thing that can ever happen to you, right? So mm-hmm. this is, to me, the ultimate sense of liberation is, oh, wow, there's no me to be concerned about dying because the me that I'm concerned about dying is a conversation, right? Where, where's Aubrey? Like, I mean, there's a meat suit, you know, I get it. Like, yeah. And you have some experiences and you've got knowledge and you've got beautiful wife and your life. And yeah, I get it. But like the part of you that's concerned for death is itself just a narrative. (laughs) And when you really get that, who are you beyond the conversation? Like if I'm the world's greatest fortune teller, which, you know, between you and I am. (laughs) (laughs) So like if I told you that you're going to live for another 60 years and you are absolutely cancer-free for all of that, in fact, you go in the most graceful, almost like like a raft on the Nile type of like magical like transition and just in your in your bed, like pristine, still got a six pack, you know, life is good, 110, I don't know how old you are, but like, so you're just, if that were your future, if that's, that is your journey, that is your destiny and the way that you transition out of this paradigm is, you know, you're going to have some bumps, you know, you're going to hurt your knee, you occasionally have these like little little disagreements with the missus, you know, that's okay. But as it relates to your physical body, you are relatively, quote unquote, disease-free, you don't have any cancer, and you transition beautifully and peacefully and life is good. If that's your future, how do you feel sitting in this chair? You know, that's, that's what we want. We want to scramble to a future that's known, right? So we all want to be the own fortune tellers that can, that can actually have a known reality. It's the surrender to the unknown that's the hard part. So now answer the question, though. <laughs> well, I, I wonder why your relationship I, doesn't work. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you know, honestly. I'm here. I can't see you. <laughs> I, uh, ultimately, I, I have resistance to adopting the hypothetical I know, that's why you didn't answer the question. So so this is why this is great, right? Because what we're revealing is the fact that you're attached to something, which is beautiful because that's where you're stuck. So again, if 
in the next 60 years, there is, you are quote unquote, relatively disease free, apart from toothache, a bit of stomach ache, maybe get the runs periodically, like whatever it is, but you don't have cancer. You transition out of this life pain free in your sleep, beautiful. Everybody's there. Oh my God, Aubrey, amazing guy, beautiful eulogies. You know, it's like, it's gorgeous. Like, if that is the next 60 plus years of your life, sitting with me now, answering my question, how would that feel? There's, I, I, the resistance is what's interesting because mm -hmm. I won't, I, I still won't let myself feel. And I've had, you know, we've sat in this chair where I've really felt it and I've yeah. felt the release happen. I won't let that happen right now because I'm all, my logical mind is questioning the hypothesis. Well, this is just a hypothetical, but it's deeper than that. The deeper part of that is my attachment to the idea of the fear of that. And like, I won't let myself release into into this belief into this faith yeah. that everything is going to go all right probably because i'm scared of the disappointment gap mm -hmm. if it doesn't happen like that like if i'm always constantly suffering a little bit in the anticipation of the possibility then if it happens well i kind of expected it and maybe that makes me a little bit right or maybe that yeah. just prevents the slap of yeah. the disappointment of me expecting something that was positive and then having it not come to fruition so i'm like no 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 yeah. don't even go there not even in this hypothetical example sitting yeah. here on this podcast don't even let yourself fucking feel it because it's dangerous <clears throat> yeah yeah beautiful i appreciate as always the vulnerability so you want to hear something really funny <laughs> yeah <laughs> your image that you have of the way it's going to go guess what that is it's hypothetical a, yeah totally <laughs> totally you, but i mean like i'm sitting here and go, you're like oh i don't want to go into the hypothetical i'm like you're completely defined by the <laughs> hypothetical yeah it's just your hypothetical like when i worked with I, I shared this i think on the first podcast like an nba guy who was really struggling from the free throw line worst shooting average 37 percent league average was like 76 percent. i'm sitting in his kitchen and I said, you know, you step up to the line and how do you feel? He's like, oh, dude, I'm just like, I don't want to miss. I'm embarrassed. Like I've, I'm anxious. I, my hands are sweaty. All of the things you'd expect from a future of like despair that you're trying to avoid, right? Similar mm. to you. And, and he's like, you know, so now I hear the crowd and like my teammates and like blah, 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 right? All you get the whole world of his concern. And I said to him, he was way better at this game than you are. But I said, I said, what if I told you for the rest of the, the season, you shoot just league average. We don't even have to get fancy. Just league average. I mean, his face lit up. He's like, dude, that'd be fucking awesome. I was like, well, what I just presented to you is as real as the future you're concerned about. I'm still sitting in your kitchen. You know, it's like, right. and, and from that moment forth, he got it. And he, that night he shot 68%. He went on and blah, 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 and was part of the U S Olympic team. And right. So he recognized that it's his own mechanism of imagination and, and superimposition that is creating his resistance now. So that's why I'm laughing with you because I love you, but you're saying, oh no, I don't want, I'm, I'm too logical. I don't want to go into the hypothetical. I'm like, dude, you're just completely living in the hypothetical. It, right? remi it reminds me of, uh, you know, William James was asked whether he, believed in free will he's a you know great philosopher for those who don't know him and he said i don't know if there's free will or not but my life is better when i believe there is right my life is better when i believe there is my life is unequivocally better whether i get cancer or not my life is unequivocally better if i live my life in the faith yeah. and the freedom of believing that i am going to thrive and be healthy and have a life filled of pleasure and joy and love mm -hmm. and freedom and peace yeah like that reality if i 
adopt and internalize that reality, it's better no matter what. Right. And that's the that's the fallacy of of what my own construct has created. I'm trying to prevent myself from the disappointment, but I'm creating a constant state of suffering mm -hmm. with almost no payoff because if it happens, I'll fucking deal with it anyways. I'll still have to deal with it. It doesn't make any difference anyway. So right. I'm just incurring a massive load of suffering yeah. for some perceived benefit of an incidence that may or may not happen yeah and it's it's it is a it is a, a madness yeah but it's, again degree. this is where the forgiveness and the compassion comes in because that's very human because the primordial intention as i said is to survive but the part of you that's trying to survive is the part of you that's already living in the hypothetical that this is what's going to happen what i'm introducing to you even if you can't go to where i said which is a created future where you're like oh i'm going to live i'm going to thrive i'm going to be abundant i'm going to be vital I get that's a leap relative to what you've been accustomed to. How long ago did your uncle die? 10 years or so. Okay, great. So you've got a decade of like living into this fear. It's got a lot of gravity to it. So even if you can't meet me in this world of like just an extraordinary future with this beautiful transition and amazing family and all of the things that you want to have unfold in your life, can you at least meet me in the truth today, which is do you know categorically, and you can only answer yes or no, do you know if you're going to die of cancer? I think I'm not. You're just a terrible listener. Dude. <laughs> no, I don't know. Right. Perfect. Right. So now can you sit with you don't know what's going to happen? Absolutely. Okay. So if you went from, okay, it's not going to look good. At least I get to be right about the disappointment. But now meet me here today with I don't know. What, what does that at least give you as a crack in terms of how you could feel? It's a it's a stepping stone towards the place where I want to go. I want to yeah. go to the place where I have that radical faith. I don't want to go halfway. I want to go all the way. And yeah. and I think the the intermediate step that you're offering is that place of I don't know. Yeah. And then the next step, which is going to bring the greatest benefit into my life and yeah. the greatest release, that feeling where everything just ah, there's that deep sigh of <sighs> yeah that's the place of it's a really a choice it's a choice for faith it's mm -hmm. a choice to believe that this reality and everything we know about the way that our beliefs signal our bodies and signal our genes yeah. that actual belief is actually going to more likely manifest that reality anyways so it's doing myself 100%. from a physiological standpoint the best thing it's doing myself from the mental standpoint the best thing so this is just one of those little things it's like a, a stick that got stuck in the bicycle wheel of my brain and yeah. it's now time for me to pull that bitch out yeah and what i really hear in this and it's beautiful that you're seeing it like what i hear more than anything is that it's less about your concern for the fear of death you're a strong dude you know we're we're, we're close now we've hung out you know it's mm -hmm. like i get who you are you're a big spirit what i really still am present to is the little boy who loves and misses his uncle. That's what I really hear, right? Like that's where you're stuck in time. It's less about your future and it's the fact that you lost in your mind somebody who meant so much to you. And that's where the hurt actually is. Yeah. Right? He yeah. meant so much to you. And in a way, he was almost immortal in your eyes. And so there's a bit of an aberration in the way that you see this big man. It's like, how could that happen? And as a little boy, how could you ever be as big as him? And so if it can happen to him, then for sure, somebody who's as mortal as you 
can never match his grandiose presence for you, right? But see, that's what's beautiful for me is less concern about your future and more just really embodying the love. And we've had this conversation in different forms, right? How much yeah. you cared about that game and when you were pulled out as a 17-year-old. Yeah. And like, you know, what's really beautiful is how big your heart is. But don't shackle it. Like, feel it. Mm -hmm. Feel it. Express how much that man. Tell stories about him. You know, I love that he was the guy that first told you how to use a gun. Like, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's got value. You know, don't use his death as an excuse to worry about your own. Use mm -hmm. his death as the, the opportunity to see how loving you are. Yeah. How much you care. And that, to me, is the precursor to then living a life that has got way more, way more significance than a little guy who's scared of dying of cancer. That's so beneath you. Right. I get it. You're human. But if he can be a role model for you in the way that he is a catalyst to inspire the release of how much love you have, don't be stingy with that love. Mm. If you have one more day on this planet or you have 60 as I proposed, don't hold back love just because you're scared. Yeah, that's not the poet's way. That's not the warrior poet's way. It's not anything, any of the stories that I ever see that inspire me. That's that's not how any of them would live. No, you know, they live fu fully every single moment. Yeah, and uh, and it's it's interesting. I can have that ideal and but not even realize where there's something, some piece that's been holding me back. Yeah. Some way in which I'm resisting that idea because of my love and my loss that yeah. i experienced and it's it's affected me in ways that i didn't even realize yeah because when you said it i mean i would have never predicted that if you said that if you told me when we were down in the kitchen just you know bullshitting around that you know this was going to happen and i would have this emotional reaction i'd be like no way i'm, I'm over that i've grieved him and yeah apparently not no but it's beautiful. And, you know, I, I feel grateful that, you know, we seem to have this <laughs> happens every time. Every damn time. <laughs> Occupational every hazard time. <laughs> of sitting with Peter Crone. You're going to let go of a bunch of shit. So uh. that to me is the beauty of like recognizing that when we get hurt, we become protective. And when we're yeah. protective, we become fearful. So really, if we can get back to the hurt, which is really an expression of love, that you just love your uncle. And more than you love your uncle, I really want you to get this, you love Mm -hmm. but you have not been loving and I'm, again general statement of course you're loving but the capacity with which you have to love has been thwarted by the fact that a little boy got hurt and now he's sort of like on tender hooks looking out a little bit for his own preservation yeah which is a denial of your capacity to show up for people which really is what your uncle would want anyway no doubt he admired the crap out of you he adored you it was reciprocal yeah right and so this is where i find energy from the fact that my mom dies when i'm seven my dad dies when i'm 17 and everybody had this sort of sob story for me of like oh my god that's terrible and i'm like you don't understand how much love i was given it was demonstrative from my parents that allowed me to see what does love look like until such time that of course i had to go through my own romantic woes and some you know painful separation but each time it just revealed the expansiveness of my capacity to love and then in, in any way that i suppress that i suffer hmm. in any way that i limit my capacity to love i'm in pain and if you really get that because you and i are like brothers that way like you have such a big heart 
you know, but there is this little bit of like self-guarded, self-protective nature sure. because you got heart, which is fine. You're human, but let's break that. Let's just love. Whether you're on this planet, as I said, for another week or another 60 days, I want you to experience the depth of your capacity to love and express joy that is the embodiment of just being loving. Yeah. Okay. Hey, that's it, man. That's it. Yeah. That's Where, different, right? That's it. Yeah, that's it. Where's the edge for you, man? Where's the edge? Where's like, you know, you've you've solved so many problems and you're continually, you know, creating ways in which you can break down these false constructs that hold people back. Is there is there is it more challenging to do it with self or do you do that with the same kind of um clarity and and you know kind of impartiality that you can do for others and where's the edge and where's this where's this, where do you stumble when it when it turns inward um it's definitely not i would say it's not as clear i mean it's obviously much easier to look at other people when i get caught in my own narratives like i've gotten to a point now where i've learned to listen and this is why you know i'm being hard on you because i just hold you to a high standard but <laughs> like if you could listen a little bit more acutely to what's actually happening listening is a it's an essence it's not necessarily the words i'm saying it's like listening is a form of relationship right like being with life so I would say that's one of my superpowers is listening. So that also then translates into my own conversation. So I become a good listener of the thoughts, which can still be, you know, at times sort of a little bit derogatory or fear-based if something's happening that I don't like. But then I listen. And then what does that what does that conversation call for? Right. So if I'm feeling a little scared, what's that called for? It's it's asking for reassurance. And then I bring that, you know, if there's a bit of uncertainty, what's it looking for? It's looking for some sort of security and I'll bring that. So um, I, I'm, I'm a work in progress, you know, I'm not walking on water just yet. You know, it's mm -hmm. like there's a ways to go. <laughs> so yeah, and, and, and honestly, I feel so grateful because it's like people like yourself and clients that I work with and groups that I speak to where... I didn't know what we we're going to talk about today. I really didn't know that we we're going to talk about your uncle and that there's going to be this beautiful emotional release. Like, so I'm a beneficiary of the unfolding of life itself where I get to reinforce my own distinctions, my own revelations, my own insights just through the, the courage and the vulnerability and the authenticity of people sharing what they're going through. So um, that's where I get most of my work done is really just being a space of love and presence for people and seeing in them the little child in me that also could have that same tendency towards being scared or lonely it's okay you know it's mm. okay i've just made more space for all of my little idiosyncrasies right you know one of the the moniker the moniker you carry is architect and you know in that there's a certain mathematical element and it reminds me of a mathematician that has a big problem like mm -hmm. a big puzzle that they're looking to solve something that's on the chalkboard that they're looking yeah. to find the right formula for yeah. is there anything that you're pondering and trying to understand now of benefit to self or others or your clients is there anything that's like on the edge that you really or a recent discovery or something that's still on the chalkboard where you got the formula but you haven't quite solved it mm -hmm. yet is there anything that you can think of that's like that is COVID actually real? <laughs> um, that's a great question. I think I'm always in the process of, analysis is a strong word. It sounds tiring and it's not tiring for me. It's really joyous. It's like I'm a mad scientist in terms of exploration. So 
there's no one specific thing. I just really am fascinated by this dimension, this paradigm that we're all in. And the way I look at it, as I said, it's really revelatory, meaning that we come here because we have our baggage, we have our fears, we have our constraints. And so the formula that I feel is the most powerful that I've ever seen is that life is going to present you with people and circumstances to reveal where you're not free is my mm. quote that, you know, is now one of the most readily used out there, which is, you know, that's that's certainly lovely to see people sharing it. But that to me is the formula for awakening. It's like, mm. okay, where can I discover some sense of unrest or dis-ease where I get triggered, I get upset. And in rather than trying to control circumstances, mitigate or dismiss or withdraw or the different ways that we survive that, can I dive right into it and go, wow, let's be let's be fascinated by the fact that I've got upset by something because that is in direct juxtaposition to my ability to truly be powerful and free regardless of circumstance. That That's that sweet spot right there is, okay, rather than trying to deny experience or try to control circumstance, where can I actually reveal internal constraint and be the architect of my own liberation? Right. So... Yeah, that's that's my constant edge with others, and when it arises within myself, obviously, uh, I've done a ton of work to get me to where I'm at. But like, that's not to say that things aren't, you know, going to show up in my quote unquote future that I can't predict. That might be going, oh, like you know, I got like upset, yeah. surprised, a new a new corner of the world in which yeah. you're not free. Yeah, and that's where again, why I'm so happy that you could at least embrace me taking you from knowing hypothetically what's going to happen to no you don't know you don't know i mean i don't want to be like like macabre but like you might not make it for 10 you might be in a freaking car accident you know it's like we don't know but if you lived in that fear you'd you'd have a lot more concern right like oh you're only going to live for three three more years or whatever it is like the what's the consistent you got a conversation in your head that's giving you an experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's all hypothetical, which is why the I don't mind, don't know mind. And I think I told that story. The thing that got me to where I am today is those three words of I don't know. I just mm-hmm. don't know. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing that people pay me a fortune to work with me. And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. They're like, wow, this guy's great. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so freeing. Joyous, joyous self-reflection is yeah. one of your one of your your great practices. What are the other personal practices that you engage in? Is there a meditation practice? Is there a, you know some kind of spiritual practice or another practice that you use to support yourself yeah. through your process? I think most of my practices are really just to do with taking care of my equipment. You know, so the the traditional like sleep exercise good sunlight you know mm-hmm. uh, good quality food supplementation where required i think yeah, if we go back to the metaphor of the car i was using like if you want to have a good ride in life you know you've got to take care of your tire pressure and your oil sure. and, right and so it's like taking care of my equipment i my former career was more in physical transformation as a trainer and a yoga instructor and pilates instructor so i've got that fortune as a foundation upon which i can pull to like just take care of like my gear you know and i think anybody can relate to if i haven't slept very well i'm not going to have the same degree of articulation i'm going to have the same degree of precision so like take care of the basics make sure that the equipment is all you know it's done it's annual and it's Mm -hmm. all good and then then you have a, a a much stronger chance of like having a a 
a mental and emotional immunity to life, right? I think there's physical immunity that's obviously topic du jour right now, but I think there's something to be said for psychological immunity. There's something to be said for the fact that I am immune to circumstance in the way that I don't get diseased by what's going on out there. Right. So the two to me are inseparable, mind-body connection. It's not really mind-body connection. It's just different forms of density. And so one informs the other. If I feel inspired, mentally or emotionally because i've fallen in love or i got a good opportunity you're generally going to have a lot more energy in your body and you're going to feel more vital if i equally have a great workout or i got some good sleep or i ate some great food then that equally is going to imprint on the psychology so i think taking care of equipment on both sides so that's my practice is just to and actually i'm working on a program for to help people with that more on the physical too yeah no doubt i mean uh when you're sick or when you're tired or i mean yeah and it's one of the reasons why I wrote Own the Day as the first book. Like the foundation is the body, and it's yeah. actually quite a bit simpler in many ways than the than the mind. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's a it's a somewhat the density is is there, so it's slower in some ways. Like yeah. it takes a long time to lose, you know, a hundred pounds or whatever you want to do, but you yeah. can change your mind in a moment. Like I changed my mind today. I'm you not just the lost same. A lot of weight, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that can happen in the psyche fast in the body, but it's also it's very you know there's a formula that's that's that makes a lot of sense for the body yeah. uh so yeah it's a, it's really good advice i think uh you know one of the last things i want to ask you is yeah what are your thoughts on you know a journaling practice you know is this something that you really recommend is this something you do yourself and what are like the productive ways to go through this you know self-reflection through writing versus thought and like yeah. journaling prompts that can help people get you know, access to some of the some of the questions and conversations that they may be blind to. I think it's very beneficial, especially when people don't have access to like a Peter Crone or somebody who can reflect for them, right? So to have self-reflection, I think anything that creates space, right? So meaning if you're in a conversation in your head about something that's, you know, disturbing you, creating some sort of anxiety, then if you can articulate it onto paper, it's almost like through the version of like being a third party observer of your own conversation, you get some sort of perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So I think journaling, I think it's twofold. One, it creates space and two, journaling is very self-expressive. And by that, I mean, it's like prayer, right? When I was looking at the energy of prayer and really like meditating on that, why is prayer powerful? It's not so much that, you know, whether there is some response on the other side or it does elicit some sort of like goodwill because you're asking for guidance. That may well happen and that's in the realm of whatever you want to believe. But it does to me speak to the freedom to express what's really there. And that's love, Right, Because if you think about it in an everyday life, when you're in front of your wife, your husband, your father, your mother, your boss, you know, invariably, depending on the quality of the relationship, and as I said, most relationships struggle a little bit because people aren't free, but you are in some degree inhibited in your self-expression. Right, because you don't want to upset someone, whether it's sort of more philanthropic, oh, I don't want to upset them, or it's more I don't want to upset them because I don't want to get in trouble, which is more self-preservation. Either way, I'm not just fully self-expressed. Like a kid will go up to someone at a party and go, why are you fat? 
<laughs> right? Mm. Like the kid doesn't know yet that that's an inappropriate thing to say or, mm -hmm. you know, oh, you're ugly. <laughs> right? That's just this beautiful thing about a child that it's it's actually, it is, it elicits the response we're having because right. it's, it's, it's liberating, it's joyous, like that you can just be that fucking honest, right? So I think the energy of journaling and prayer are synonymous in that regard because you're in your own conversation where you don't feel inhibited in the ability to talk about what's close to the heart. And so that itself is, uh, it's a form of liberation just by the fact that you're acknowledging what's really going on. And I think people are just so thwarted in their self-expression. They're so intimidated. They want to be right. They want to be polite. They don't want to offend. They don't want inconvenience. Oh, no, 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 no. Or even when someone gives you a compliment, right? Like how many people like deny that? They dismiss Deflect it. it. Yeah. yeah. And so I think the more we can get good at just being comfortable on our own skin and yeah, like I feel this way and that's what's like, it's love holding the humanity that I am. And so journaling and prayer, I think, are just exercises in that. Ultimately, I would love and I help people get to the place where you can have that with a partner. You can have it with a loved one. Ideally, you can even have it in a corporate environment if it's done under the right guise of like, you know, we, we honor self-expression here. Um, so that, that's powerful. That's intimacy. That's affinity to me. That's where I'm truly... You know, that's the expression of namaste, right? Like it's yeah. like the, the divine in me sees the divine in you. And in the midst of that is our humanity and we make space for it. And to be mindful of the, the dramaturgy that we might be playing out in our journals or in our prayers. If we're praying to be the pious one and mm -hmm. reflecting back to self, oh, this is me being pious and I'm going to pray in this certain way because it makes me feel this way about myself. That's worthless. Yeah. You know, that doesn't help anything. That's, you Small know, self righteousness. Right. And then, same in the journal. If you're journaling to reaffirm your rightness or reaffirm your, or any other reason other than just the radical open self expression, like these are sacred places, yeah. sacred spaces in your mind, your commune with the divine, however you want it, or in your journal as a sacred space as well. And which is why, you know, one of the great violations that, you know, someone can do is when a parent goes and a dad goes and reads his, his daughter's journal. Yeah. You know, like you don't understand the violation of that because now every time she's in that journal, yeah. she's wondering, do I need to censor my thoughts just in case my dad breaks into my room right. and busts open this journal? You've just actually severed the communication between her truest, deepest self. And that's yeah. something that for everybody there, whether you're in partnership or whether, you know, no matter how much that draws you towards it because of your curiosity or your desire to control whatever fucking, you know, thing you got going on, like mm -hmm. respecting the sanctity of that within self and within others, like that's a, it's a sacred place. Yeah. It's, it's again, I just use the word love because it's, you know, it's allowing it's granting beingness, which might be a weird expression. Like I'm granting the space for me to be what I'm being and it's mm -hmm. okay. Like that to me is to the quintessential parent is who makes space. And sadly, there's not that many, you know, we're, we're all works in progress and I can't speak to parenting. I know it's difficult, but the quintessential parent is granting beingness to their child. The child's doing their best. If they, you know, if I went to go and hug you and I knocked the mug over and you're the parent who gets upset, 
you didn't allow the fact that this kid is still developing like the awareness of their central nervous system and how their limbs move in space like to get upset only now creates more tension in that child the absence of feeling accepted for who they are in the process of their own evolution so if we can bring that to ourselves to others that's a totally different planet where we allow people to just be works in progress. You know, no one's perfect, myself included. We are all developing, hopefully, but within the context of love, that development is, is unthwarted. It's not in any way built around a brick wall of shame or guilt or fear. Um, that, that's, that's my commitment, is bring more love so that people can F up and be who they are and it's okay. We love you exactly the way you are. And if you're committed to something else, I'll support you in that too. Amen to that. The trilogy has concluded, my friend. The <laughs> three-peat. The three-peat. We fucking did it. <laughs> Pat Riley has a trademark on three-peat. We might owe him something for, oh, okay, uh, for using fine. that I think word. he's all right for the car. <laughs> so I got, just to wrap it up, just to be powerful, I got mm -hmm. four, maybe five questions, but they're short. Okay. Um, did you love your uncle? Yes. Yeah, I get that. So the love's still there, right? So yeah. in the absence of him, does that mean that love has to go? No. Great. The way your uncle passed, could it, and it's a yes or no answer, could it have been any different? No. Can you today with me accept that that's exactly how he passed? Yes. Beautiful. Do you know how you're going to die? No. Can you be okay with that for now? Yes. Awesome. A bit more freedom. A lot more freedom. You know, thank you so much. And, and just to... to go through the part where also I just learned something. When you ask, could it have been any different? That was the one. There, there was still some energy in there because yeah. I could analyze and you know talk to my mom and talk to his other siblings and, and yeah. kind of see where there was some repression in him. And I, oh, uncle, if you would have just been able to express that thing that you were holding, you know, of cancer has been described to me by some yeah. great health practitioners as disease of repression. And if you would have just let that out, maybe you wouldn't. Have. But he, he couldn't. No. There couldn't have been any different. Right. And that's like, and that's the things. And it's, uh, there was, that was also beautiful to actually verbalize and say and just realize like, no, it couldn't have been any different. You did the fucking best you could, Uncle Craig, and, and yeah. I love you. And even more profoundly, and the question was very specific for that reason, this isn't my first rodeo, and it's certainly not my first rodeo <laughs> with you, right? Because you had it that your 17-year-old self could have done it differently and told the coach that you didn't want to be pulled out of the game no from our first interview, right? Yeah. And then you really saw, no, it couldn't have been different. So there's something beautiful for you to get, which is the surrender to the fact that life is unfolding the way it's unfolding, which is why I have the quote that what happened happened and couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't. <laughs> and if you really get that, there's so much freedom in that. All I get is that that's what happened and you love the shit out of your uncle. And that's, that's got true. nothing to do with how things unfolded. That's true. Man, I'm going to need some integration time after this one. Thank you so much, brother. Is there anything you want to uh, point out to people? Anything you got going on? Um, I mean, depending on when this comes out, like we might be uh, close to Christmas. So I'm going to relaunch my Free Your Mind course, which I'm very Great. excited about, Great. Um, which speaks to all of these things. You see this actually happened with four people I'd never met before at a much even, I don't know, we, did, we went pretty deep today, but it's in the same degree of mm -hmm. like excavation of limitations that everyone can <clears throat> relate to so um and then some exciting things for next year so 
you know, sign up, send your email, follow the Instagram, Peter Crone official, whatever it is that you want to do to do the things. Stay informed about the world of freedom and possibility, baby. <laughs> do the damn and things. A shit out of love. Do the damn things. Yeah. I love you, brother. Thank you so much. Love you too, my friend. Love you guys as well. Peace. Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Peter Crone. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I can't wait to hear your feedback, which I'm sure is forthcoming. I love you guys so much. I will see you next week.